and welcome to Core Women. My name is Dr. Summer Watson, and I'm the founder of Core Women, and I'm also an empowerment strategist for women. So if you're listening to this podcast to delve more into empowerment strategies, well, you're here for the right reason. However, Core Women was also developed because it's a special place that provides a unique idea of home for the hearts and souls of women. It's a place for us to share our strength, energy, wisdom, and authenticity. It's a place for women to find support and strategic empowerment ideas that will help support their lives. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Viviana Crawl, a girl from the Midwest who left home at an early age and traveled the world. She eventually settled in a village on the outskirts of Savannah, Georgia, where she loves to spend her days writing and making her dreams a reality. She is the author of multiple short stories and books and is the best-selling author of the suspense novel, Escape into the Blue. Let's get right into talking about your journey, Bibiana, and welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Summer. I'm excited to be here. Oh, it is my pleasure. Okay, so there is so much to talk about here, Bibiana. So let's start off with growing up in Michigan and what that was like for you. Oh, gosh. Well, um, we lived in the country, so we were about seven miles from out of, you know, the town where we went to school. And um, uh, we we kind of had free range. We had a huge uh, pheasant hatchery up to one side of us, and we raised goats, chickens, ducks. We even had a uh, a sheep and horses. So, you know, looking back on it, it was pretty idyllic, really. Um, but I was bored to death and read a lot and dreamed a lot and started studying the constellations just to kind of get away from the hubbub of my extremely large Roman Catholic family. How did you move away from, from the area, the farm? What did you do next? Oh, well, it was, it was kind of, you know, it was a lot like learning to drive a stick shift, to be honest. You know, it was leave and fail miserably, come back, leave, fail miserably, come back. And it just kind of went off and on like that. And my parents, of course, were charging rent to try to get all of us to, to leave the nest and, and to grow up. And I, and I did. But every once in a while, I would come back for a few weeks and be reminded why I really needed to be independent. And um, eventually, you know, I would get amazing jobs sometimes. Um, like I got offered a job in Europe and literally just sold everything and just moved. Wow. Um, That's a lot of courage. I've I've always just been kind of adventurous, I guess. And, um, I've never really felt like I could be the person that I was supposed to be, whatever that means, unless I went out and had experiences in the world. Right. So You know, that's what I long for. I was kind of Huckleberry Finn, I guess. Well, that's really cool. So I'm going to go back a little bit. You said all of us in relation to were there a lot of kids? <laughs> <laughs> I, well, our house was the house to be at because we had the swimming pool as well. But wow. um, there were, I have seven brothers and sisters and I'm the third oldest. Um, and there were maybe 15 other kids in the general neighborhood which is like a five mile radius and uh we would congregate we were this wild bunch that roamed the woods and swam in the pool I mean my mother has nerves of steel oh she really does yeah right (laughs) yeah (laughs) all those kids around (laughs) wow I know so you left the nest 
when did you, so you traveled the world, like what were some of the places that you went to? Uh, well, uh, one of the first, uh, like I said, it was stops and starts. It really was. It was like chug, chug, chug up the hill, back <laughs> down the hill. But, um, you know, I, I've traveled all over Europe. Uh, and a few times I've gotten those lovely passes where you can take all the trains, all the ferry boats, the whole nine yards. Nice. So on that particular trip, um, I think I did 23 countries in a month. So it was like just if I didn't like a place or didn't feel like it was safe for me as a woman traveling by myself, I would just literally wait for the next train or the boat and just leave. Wow. So, Great. um, yeah, I mean, there are so many beautiful places, but I always gravitated to the places that were a little less known, um, very historic, like the battlefields in Belgium mm. actually spoke to me on a deeper level than the battlefields in Normandy. Okay. And I'm not sure exactly why, but I think uh, because I didn't expect them to be maybe as beautiful as some of them were and just sort of somber and atmospheric, right. I, I didn't expect it. And so it surprised me and I liked that and gravitated towards that. Wow. And I bet that was really just being able to go to all these different places was such an adventure and so eye-opening for you and traveling alone. What was that like? <laughs> well, it can, it can be uh, really dangerous sometimes um, because I, I tend to leap before I look. That's kind of a lifetime issue for me, but um you know, it's amazing too, though, because I learned, especially on the European trains, a lot of people will travel with their families or their children or grandchildren. And so if you bring a, a bottle of wine and a little bag of unopened candy from the little store in the train station, you can make friends almost everywhere you go. Oh. And people will tell their stories. They'll invite you to baptisms and weddings. I mean, it's like just nuts. It's absolutely nuts. It's really cool. And when you're alone, there's nobody next to you saying, I don't really feel like it, or I'm not into it, or, you know, kind of dragging you down. You can right. literally just go do it. True. True enough. Wow. And you're right. You know, you, you just have to take precautions, I'm sure, you know, so oh, yeah. that yeah. when you are traveling alone, that you're very aware of who's around you and, and what's going on. But what an adventure. So it sounds like you've just traveled, you're well-traveled. And from that, do you use the experiences to support the content in your books? And if so, provide examples. I'd love to hear about it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the one thing about traveling alone, especially as a woman, um, is you kind of learn to, to mask your body to a certain extent so that you, you can kind of glide in and glide out. like. A t-shirt right. and a hoodie is kind of perfect. Right. Because people don't notice you as much. Yeah. So, and you can get all babed out at your hotel and then go out, but you kind of don't want to be noticed at train stations, bus stations, you know, places where there's a lot of sort of iffy characters hanging around right. sometimes. Yeah. Makes a um, sense. Yeah. So you learn to do that. But as far as the story, I mean, literally people that I've met, good and bad, scary and not so scary, or just really 
unusual people. Right. Um, all kind of end up in the stories, but they they sort of morph in the fiction process for me. So they may be in a totally different body in a totally different cultural setting, but their characteristics or flaws or something that really struck me always right. sort of goes in that person, and it it makes me laugh because it's a private joke. You know, so nobody else will ever know who it is. Right, right, right. Just because you've described them and morphed them in ways that, yeah, they just wouldn't know. And and you are so, the way that you write is so beautiful and it's so poetic in a sense. So it's just, it's so fluid and it's so engaging. So with that said, what genre and themes are you drawn to as a writer? I kind of know by doing a little bit of research, but tell our listeners like how that developed and, and why. Well, I think um, really I've, I've always been interested in, in history and the mysterious and how it sort of pertains to the mysterious. I think the root of that came from my mother having National Geographic come to our house when I was a little kid. Oh, really? And I was, yeah, I just, I, abs- I would read it cover to cover. And um, I was very interested in the ancient Egyptians, um, the ancient Syrians, uh, the mystery of Machu Picchu, things like that just always really struck me as, you know, being that person one day who could go and see the pyramids and watch the sun set behind, you know, the the Nile and all of that. I wanted to be that person. So um, in my stories, I write of heroine. That's my big thing. I love to take a woman who is probably the most unlikely person you can imagine to be a heroine or to stand up for themselves somehow and to put them in a situation uh, where they either have to stand up or fall down. And it's interesting to see what happens to them. And maybe it's part of my experience of doing really stupid things in my 20s. And seeing myself in situations that were not very wise, but I managed to somehow wiggle out of using my brain rather than, you know, my, my high level karate skills (laughs) from having three brothers. But, um, but yes, I like to talk about heroines and I'd like to add the mystery of, uh, the world of our culture, of religions, of belief systems, it's so interesting because the more research I do for these stories, the more I realize that we all carry certain uh, mysterious things with us through our generations and we share them. And very often they are quite similar. So there are these parallel lines that run across almost every culture that I've experienced. And I find that very interesting. Absolutely. And for you to draw that out and really take a look at that and how you develop that and then put it in writing is such an interesting process. And, and with that said, what is your process when you sit down and write, do you write, you know, just for hours? Do you get up and, and go somewhere? What is your process? Where do you like to write? How, how did that develop for you? I, well, my writing process is actually, it's, it's sort of five parts. I have to have a, an idea. I have to have a sentence or an image or something that I consider the seed. And um, that seed, 
I actually plan in my head and, and I force myself to think about it and dream about it. And then I research it and then I, I let it go. Okay. And if it comes back to me, kind of like, you know, if someone loves you, right. if it comes back to me and it, it puts that force or that need into my hands to continue, then I begin writing. Gotcha. Okay. So it has to have that passion. If it doesn't have the passion, then it's not strong enough. And it doesn't want me to talk about it badly enough. So I, I believe in the muse. And um, I let the muse actually make that decision. And she makes that decision by sticking it in front of my face. So when I'm eating toast, I can't stop thinking about it. And right. then it means it's time to go. Right. Okay. And so that kind of determines whether, one, you're going to write about it. Two, how long you're going to sit and write. Just mm -hmm. because that if you're driven to write that day for maybe a half an hour to five hours, that's what's going to happen. So exactly. Okay. Wow. And do you ever like for me, sometimes there's this thing where I'm sleeping or I'm going to sleep and all of a sudden I'll wake up and go, mm -hmm, that's it. I better put this like in a note. I got to document this idea right now. Is it like that for you where you're just like, boom, I got to do this right now. And it's, it's so it strong. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it literally feels like one of my sisters just jumped on me while I was sleeping. And, and I don't feel like I can just write it in a notebook. Because when it comes to me that way, to me, it, it's, it's literally, it is the next thing. So I get up, and I put my bathrobe on, and I make coffee, and I sit down. Right. And I let it go. Right. And if it's five minutes, fine. If it's 10 hours, fine. Right. I, I, I don't stop it because I really feel like, you know, writer's block is something I really don't believe in. I find that that's because you're worried about other things or there are stresses in your life that you're not dealing with. To me, that's what writer's block is. It's external things altering your imagination, your, your creative process. It has nothing to do with writing. It has to do with everything else. Right. So... Well, that's a really good, that's a really interesting interpretation. I like that, that it really yeah. isn't about your, your creative process and your blog. No. It, it's about the external that's influencing what's going on, your, your creativity. Right, exactly. You have an issue going on in your life somewhere that you're not dealing with, and it's, it's coming out through a cramp in your fingers. Interesting. Wow. So it's kind of just developing and that's the way it shows itself. Right. You, exactly. And wow. A physical cramping. Well, that's really interesting. I like the way you're thinking about this. You know, that's, that's something that I haven't heard of before. Got to think about that a little bit more. Um, in relation to the creative process, do you write at home? Do you write whenever you just get the inspiration? Say, for instance, you're, you're walking and you, you have to stop at a cafe and you're like, yeah, I got to do this. I got to write this down right now. So how, how does that happen for you? I mean, do you just stop and like, got to do this. Just hold on, everybody. Well, <laughs> I actually have literally been on like a, an eight-lane highway where I had an idea and you can't hear, you can't touch your telephone and, and my, my automated, uh, you know, artificial intelligence never works when I want it to. So 
I literally have pulled over like in a, a rest area or a truck stop and just started recording on my, my handheld phone. Right. Um, because I didn't have my laptop. And of course I would wait for some appointment somewhere or whatever, but I would press record and then drive back on the highway and just keep talking to myself in my car, like a maniac and recording up until that moment that I had to go be somewhere. So I have done that plenty of times and you know, it's a gift. It's a gift when you get these ideas. And the minute you stop really appreciating them and stop seeing them as the lightning strikes that they really are for your creativity, you know, you're going the wrong way because, you know, sometimes you don't get one for weeks. So if you get two or three in a row, baby, you better start listening because it means something amazing is going to happen. Right. Absolutely. Do you ever get in that place where, you get a really great idea and you're just so driven to start writing down and you know, you're so inspired and you, you start writing and then all of a sudden it's like, boom, you kind of hit a wall and you're like, what, what happened? Like, where did that go? <laughs> where, where did that go? And do you think based on what we previously discussed a couple of minutes ago about quote unquote writer's block, do you think that something externally is going on that's, that's causing that block, that wall? Or do you think that sometimes things just drop, like themes just drop, ideas just drop, and it's like, that's it. It's, it's, it's not working. Or maybe I just have to come back to it later. You know, to, to me, what it really means is, is that, you know, I, I see writing as uh, a maze, a maze for each person. So each person has their own maze. And to get to the end of the maze, you must get to the end of the idea um, in a way that you feel like you've expressed yourself as best you can, whatever that means for you. So you're halfway through the maze. You can smell the swamp on the other side of the wall. And the wall goes up and it's so high, there's no way to climb it. And it starts raining, and you know, which is, I would equate to writer's block. Gotcha. To me, what that means is, is sit down on the bench, eat your sandwich, don't even look at the wall. The wall is getting higher and higher and higher. Just eat your sandwich. If it's meant to be, the wall will, you know, completely disintegrate. If it's not meant to be, then get up, wipe yourself off, and keep going through the maze. But remember where the wall is. And eventually, if that is supposed to be part of what you're doing, the wall will diminish and it will show itself what it wanted to tell you that you weren't ready for before. Right. I love that. That's such a great thought process and idea. And there are so many writers that I've talked to over the last few years and some of them just have very distinct like a process and they've got to set up the room. They've got to have certain lighting. They've got to have a candle. <laughs> they've got to have... All this stuff, it is a ritual. It's, do you have anything like that? Um, I did when I was writing my, my master's thesis. Um, <laughs> and I did because I was writing as an ancient oracle. Okay. And so she had uh, extremely powerful connections to the earth and, and the mother goddess and that kind of thing. And so I did have rituals that I did to try to sort of envision you know putting her skin on my skin um 
but to me it felt almost like I had to because she's she's this you know larger than life person very often my ritual tends to be get everybody out of the house turn my phone off you know literally put on my noise canceling headphones and pound some really wicked good music on my Spotify yeah and that's my ritual okay as soon as I've got my 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 time to write I am I am on it I'm like everybody bye yeah and I'm gone wow so you're just in the zone everything's kind of blocked out at that point the music's going you know my mother always used to say how do you how do you read write listen to music and do like three things at once and I'm like I don't know but when I get in the zone I get in the zone and and that kind of sounds like you, you have your zone and it's just where you like to be. And when you're ready to do it, you do it. And yeah. for some people, I listen to their stories as writers and I feel like everything's got to be perfect and it's got to be, you know, the camera's got to be yeah. on the left side of the computer and it's got to be it's so contrived that it's such a controlled environment at that point that how do you really sometimes allow for your creativity to flow within that right. environment? So like I said early on, everybody's process is different, but oh, sure. it, it's just so interesting to hear the interpretation from each writer. So now we're getting kind of towards the end of the interview, but what would you say to someone who wants to be a writer, but questions their abilities? Well, I guess the, the first question I always ask people, even though it's, it's really not a writing question is, is, are you a reader? And, or have you had an adventurous life? Because um, journeyman writers are really kind of my favorite writers, to be honest with you. They're the people who had amazing adventures all over the place and listened to verbal stories. Um, but I always ask people, are you a reader? Okay. If you are not a reader, then your first problem of being a writer is going to understand the rhythm and flow perhaps, of how a good story has to, uh, has to unravel uh, while you're writing it. Right. And that can be one of the hardest things about a story. Having an idea is not a problem. But having it sort of reveal itself the way you want it to reveal, it's, that is mastery, and it takes a lot of work to figure, that, figure out how to do that. So Absolutely. if you read excellent literature, all of these people – have one thing in common, and that is they know when to tell you what's going on and when to hit you hard. That is, that's, that's the plot. Right. So, you know, if you don't do a lot of reading of really exceptional literature, um, unfurling or unraveling those points that are going to make or break whether or not people continue reading your writing, um, you know, are going to be really hard for you to find. They're marker points in the maze. Right. You know, the, the torch in the dark hallway. And so if you don't know where to go find that torch in the maze, it's going to be a lot harder for you. I'm not saying you can't do it, but, um, you know, and we all come to these, these points on our own. But if you've been reading literature your whole life, you are way ahead of everybody else because you already know all the calisthenics. Right. Yeah. So, I, you know, I understand what you're saying. It's kind of like, 
if you equate it to say, let's an actor or a comedian and they know timing, they know flow, they know because they've been watching it, they study the, the skill. But then there are some people who just innately have the skill. Mm-hmm. And then there's others who have the learned skill. And I think there can be a combination. Then there are those people oh, sure. who just, you know, who are just great at it just because there's something within them that says, you know what, I can do this. Like I was meant to do this. And the way they write is just so poetic, lyrical. It flows. Take for instance, Toni Morrison. You look at Dickens. You look at all these fabulous, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's like, you take a look at a Dickens book and it's 1200 pages long. And you're like, wow, how can this guy keep going? You know, and yet he does. He was paying for all of his kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he had a big family, poor guy. That's right, right? So I know. He and, was. He had, he had to hustle those words out. That's right. And there were a lot of them. <laughs> there were a lot of them. Because that's who I did my thesis on. So it, it, it was a lot. Yet, you know, you yeah. look at somebody like Toni Morrison and you look at her book, The Bluest Guy. And it's a short book, yet it's so impacting. And oh, yeah. it, it keeps you engaged. If you're someone who wants to be a writer, what are the things that you need to think about? And I like that you ask, are you a reader? I think it's really, really important. But, you know, for me, at, at least, you know, it wasn't just the books growing up. I was lucky to have a library in the house I grew up in, um, a big one. But I honestly think that um, the flow, the ebb and flow, that beautiful rhythm, especially to someone like Toni Morrison's writing, it not only comes from enduring um, really excruciating things in your life and rising above them, but it comes from looking at nature when you are going through these traumas and feeling that rhythm of the water, the flow of the birds taking off from the trees. If you look at those kind of uh, natural processes and you implant them in yourself as you're writing, you will start feeling the rhythm, whether it works or not. And it's really, really important, I think, to feel that rhythm as you're writing. Right. Yeah, I agree. Now, when you wrote your first story or your first, first novel, how did you know that you were tuning into that rhythm? For me, I think it was because even when I stepped away from the desk, I could almost feel the energy waves kind of moving with me. Gotcha. And when when I read it out loud, which is something I do very often, I read a lot of things out loud and, and I record them and walk around outside and listen to them. And that will determine whether or not I'm going to go do a huge line edit or a full edit, you know, that kind of thing. But it has to do with whether or not it, it touches me, you know, under the rib cage. If it doesn't, I throw it out because I, I don't want to write. I don't want to skate on the surface. I, I want a deep diver down in everything that I do. And I don't always, you know, it's just something you can't do all the time without completely going nuts. though, I think by right. yourself in a room writing, but, um, but for me, you know, I, I don't want to be seen as a commercial per se writer. Of course, I want to make money and not starve to death, but I also want, I want people to, to really take their emotions, take their feelings, put them with these characters and, and to connect with them. And you can only do that if you go a little bit deeper. 
I, I think you're absolutely right. Or if you're talking to new people who want to be writers, and a lot of times they'll say, well, I don't do this because what happens is I'll start writing and I'll start editing myself. And what I say many <laughs> times is please just put everything down, put everything right. down before you ever start editing. Now, what's your thoughts about that? Um, I agree. Um, I'm, I'm 100%. I call myself the Italian race car driver in my first draft. <laughs> I literally jumped in my Lamborghini and I go, so fast, it's amazing. I don't go off the cliff every time, but I just go. I go as fast as I can, as hard as I can, and keep going and going and going until literally I have, you know, I think I've got the bones, and then I let it sit and I go do something else, which is terrible. Because you know, when you have the hots for somebody, you want to call them all the time and hang out all the time, and <laughs> and at that point, you have the hots for your story, right? Right. So. I force myself to wean away from it for a few days or a week, depending on, you know, how I, how I can handle it. And I go do something completely different, different genre, different something, or I, I submit to literary magazines or whatever. And then when I come back to it, it is a full blown love affair. Wow. You know, we're <laughs> right. We're buying a, a villa on Lake Como, you know, like the whole thing's going on. So <laughs> I love it. That's but I never ever criticize my lover or my love affair by not wearing the right shoes to our first date because if I do that then I start feeling critical and instead of feeling that bloom of passion and love you have to feel because you're in a long-term relationship if it's a novel um you know I just let it go and I just say yeah but you know you're still so handsome and funny I you know so I keep going Right. And I just ignore the fact that you wore your old rotten tennis shoes to my date. So <laughs> this is what I mean. That description right there goes into your writing and it's just so wonderful. And it's just, you know, you've got levity, you've got, you know, deep thoughts you've got, and it just flows and it flows and you've got timing. I've read one of your pieces so far. I'm going to read another. I'm so excited about your writing. Now, with that said, what do you what would you say one of your most exciting books to write or short stories to write was? Most exciting. Um, or one that just I would captured you and just drew you in and thought, and you thought, yep, this is, this is one of my favorites. Well, you know, it's funny. It's, I, I'm not a person who reads series. I've only read like three or four series in my whole life and Tolkien was one of them. So, okay. you know, that's the kind of level I put up to reading series. Right. Um, like who can do Tolkien except Tolkien. Right. But um, anyway, so I wrote Corvus Hall, uh, a, a novella, basically. Okay. And I wrote it after I had been in Ireland for my second or third time. I forget. Anyway, there were some really weird things that happened to me while I was there and they wouldn't leave me alone. So I wrote Corvus Hall. It was going to be a standalone novella. And that's it. Well, of course, the muse always has, you know, she's a tricky little woman, she is. <laughs> and she just showed up after I thought I was all done and said, what about this? What about that? You know, and, she, and yeah, I just kept having these dreams and all of this other stuff. And it's like, all right, so I'll, I'll give it to you. So I wrote a second one, you know, lost it all. And she's still going. She won't be quiet. <laughs> relentless. 
Yeah, she relentless is a great word. Literally, <laughs> all the time. And finally, I was like, okay, will you be happy if I give you four? And she was like, yes. And now I'm going to give you what you're going to write about. And as that was revealing itself, especially in the third book that's coming out February or March 5th, the third uh, story in this kind of link wow. thing, it has gone literally from some of my experiences to like Celtic mythology and the Celtic gods rising and doing stuff right now, real time in the middle of Dublin. So it's bonkers. I wow. don't know where this came from. Uh, I I don't know where it came from. Oh, that is awesome. Well, that relentless muse. So you know, she kept pushing you. She's like, come on, yeah, she, you can do it. She, she just will, you know, when she wants me to do something, she doesn't stop sending me messages. And so I just have to. If I don't, literally, she will wake me up in the middle of the night and just make me so I can get some sleep. <laughs> This is so visual. I, I can feel this. I can see this. You know, it's like, wow, she's kicking you out of bed. She's like, now, right. now get out. Yeah, ripping the covers <laughs> off like lazy butt. Get up. It's 2 a.m. What are you doing? Sleeping? Right. Come on. <laughs> There's no time for sleep. We've got a right. and a Sleep, you'll sleep when you're scared. dead. That's right. right. You'll sleep when you're dead. You're That's working right. for me right now. That's right. <laughs> mine. I've got you. <laughs> and it feels like that sometimes. But yeah, to go from one novella to have it turn into four and to actually finally have the muse or my dreams or whatever you want to call it telling me exactly where we're going, which is bizarre because one of the places that's in the final book is somewhere that I was literally two miles from and didn't even know existed until I started doing my research for book three. Oh, wow. So I was in Ireland, like right next to this place and didn't even know it existed. Oh, man. Jeez. And you never, did you ever, did you ever get there or you haven't gotten? No, I'm going to have to now. I'm going to have to now. Wow. Absolutely. Well, this is so much fun and we could talk forever, but I'm, I'm, we're kind of wrapping up here. So what my last question is, as we wrap up this interview, if you were to offer some words of wisdom to the listeners today, what would they be? Um, do what you love. Stop, stop listening to people giving you that kindly advice telling you you can't do something or can't be something or this isn't the way it's done. You know, instead of arguing with people like that, just show them. Just, just do it. And and stop waiting for people to, you know, give you a pat on the back and just go do it. And when you're all done, present it. And hopefully somebody will understand and, and uh, help you take it further. But you got to believe in yourself. You know, you just do it. Just go. Right. I love that. Just go. Hashtag just go. So. <laughs> yeah, just go. Woo! <laughs> just in go. In the Ferrari. Woo! Yep. That's right. In the Ferrari. First draft. Woo! That's right. I love that. So thank you, Viviana, for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's been amazing. If you would like to know more about Viviana, please follow her on Twitter at Viviana1Crawl. Go to her YouTube page, which is Viviana Crawl Books. Check out her website at VivianaCrawl.com. And you can go to Amazon to check out her listing of short stories and novels for purchase. Thank you so much. If you need a strategic empowerment coach, contact me. 
If you want to tell your story of empowerment or how you have reconstructed your life to drive change, send me a video or an email of your story providing permission to use it on my social media platforms. If you want to be featured on my podcast, reach out to me at info at corewomen.com. I want to hear from you and to get to know you. You are now part of the Core Women Home. Let's get to know each other. Let's learn from one another. Please follow Core Women on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please let your women friends know about this podcast. If you write about Core Women in your social media posts, please hashtag Core Women. This is all about women. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about Core Women, and please stay tuned for continued growth of the Core Women movement. Let's grow and drive change together. 